Our Bible reading will be coming from Song of Solomon 7 and Ephesians 5, verse 31 to 32. You can follow through with these little papers on our chairs as I go through the reading. Okay. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, like two fawn, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Beth Rabim. Your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held by captive. The, the king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are! And how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree, I will take hold of its fruit. May your breast be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. She, may the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the wines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I've stored up for you, my beloved. And then from Ephesians 5, verse 31 to 32. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. This is the word of God. Good evening, church. If you listen to 94.7, you probably heard that song. Uh, you probably were tempted to say amen to that. Um, uh, we'll see as we get into uh, the talk what that, what that song is all about. Um, you might be wondering, what in the world is that doing uh, in church? Uh, so we have started uh, a series called The Anthems of the Age. Anthems of the Age, and we're doing for the next three weeks popular songs from our culture. Uh, so this morning we looked at a song from uh, One Republic. And the idea behind this series is that we look at this popular song, uh, we consider the message uh, that's at the heart of the song. And then we consider how the gospel message uh, engages with uh, this song. So we're looking at uh, this song, Take Me to Church. I'm going to pray for us as we get into, into this song. Also, please, can, you, can I ask you to keep uh, this uh, leaflet with you? Uh, there is the words of the scripture that was read to us. And then the lyrics here, uh, so that we follow. Uh, let's pray uh, for God to help us um, as we get into this. Um, Father, we thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for the songs that we sing that speak of what Jesus has done. We thank you that you've placed us right here in Midrand 2023 uh, with all of the influences, uh, with everything that's going on around us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we would reflect on our own lives and that this song uh, from our culture will help us to do that, uh, but also that your word, the Bible, 
uh, your story, uh, the gospel, would challenge us um, to think about our lives. Uh, this we pray in Jesus' name and for our good. Amen. Uh, so that song, Take Me to Church, um, I have to make a case as to why that's the anthem of our age. I'm sure you've heard that song, isn't it? Um, you've heard that song, uh, you've sang to it. I find the tune quite catchy. Uh, that's probably why in 2013 when it was released, it immediately went viral. Um, it has about 890 views, over 890 views on YouTube. Uh, so this is uh, definitely an anthem um, of the age. And for very obvious reasons, one, it's, it's a cool song. Um, secondly, is that it speaks to some of the desires that we have uh, as people. So if you listen to those words, they speak to uh, some of the deepest longing uh, that we uh, that we have in this day and age. I still remember hearing those lyrics for the first time, and I thought this was a gospel song. I thought it was a church song. Amen. Obviously, I did not um, listen and read uh, those um, those lyrics. What you may not know about this song is that it was written by a very frustrated young man. I think he was about 19 at that age. Uh, apparently, he wrote it around 2 o'clock after a heartbreak. Uh, so you can imagine uh, him uh, writing and penning this, uh, this words. By the time it was released, what was actually happening around... Uh, the, the world was that the Catholic Church uh, in Ireland in particular was fighting against uh, the uh, agenda for, um, for the liberals uh, to, to legalize uh, same-sex marriage. Uh, so he released it as a protest uh, against that. He himself uh, grew up in a church, uh, and his experience of church kind of comes out uh, in this song, and his distaste towards religion and Christianity uh, comes out. Uh, as you read, take me to church, uh, you would know that the kind of church that he's speaking to is a different church there than the one that you and I have uh, in mind. Listen to the lyrics about the kind of church that uh, Hosea, the, uh, the Irish writer, the Irish singer of this song, says. He says, my church offers no absolutes. She tells me worship in the bedroom. The only heaven I'll be sent to is when I'm alone with you. I was born sick, but I love it. Command me to be well. Uh, the kind of church that he's talking about is a community where there is no restriction. Uh, there are no absolutes. Uh, there are no restrictions when it comes to sexuality and sex and how we express uh, ourselves as a society, and he's shunning any organization that would uh, would stand to say that um, there should be restrictions. And not only is he uh, doing that, um, but he's celebrating uh, sex and sexuality as the ultimate form of worship. He's celebrating uh, this idea of worshiping in a bedroom with no restrictions, no judgment. Um, now, he says, if you listen to one of the interviews, that there are three most important things in life. It is the time that you are born, the time that you are intimate with somebody, and then the time that you die. Uh, so to him, this middle part is the most human thing that you can ever do. To be intimate uh, with someone is the most uh, 
um, intimate. It's the most human experience uh, that you could ever um, experience. And in fact, if you take it away from somebody, if you take away from somebody their freedom to express who they are in that regard, you are taking away their very freedom to be people. Uh, so that is what he, what the writer claims. Now, I still remember five years ago, uh, I was walking on campus. I think it was myself and Reggie. One of the things that we would do on a Tuesday is that we would walk uh, on the Pearson Institute campus and we would tell students about Jesus. Uh, and every now and again, we have different topics. Uh, so I still remember on this specific day, our topic was one the students love. Uh, so we went out on a Tuesday during the day and I approached different people, but there's one conversation that I'll never forget. Uh, and it's a conversation with these uh, two ladies. Uh, so here I am. I introduced myself to them. Hi, my name is David. I'm from a ministry called Focus. Focus is a fellowship of Christian university students, and we want G, uh, students to encounter Jesus on the university campus. Uh, so we want to hear what students think, and our topic for this evening is sex. Uh, so can I, can I ask you girls what you think? And before I could finish uh, asking them that question, they said, whoa, 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 um, just stop there. Uh, and what, would say, what they would say next uh, is what I didn't expect. Uh, they said to me, uh, we know what you're going to say. You are a church person. Uh, you're from church. So we know what you're going to say uh, about sex. And we are out here planning to do some crazy bleep later on. Uh, so please don't come here and make us feel guilty about that. I said bleep because I can't say the actual word that uh, they said. Um, Please don't make us feel guilty. Um, and so ended our conversation. Uh, it was shut. They shut me like that. Normally students would be nice and say, no, we'll come. But this one's very direct. We don't want to hear anything about your Jesus, particularly on this area of our life, because we know what you're going to say, and we know that you're going to make us feel guilty uh, because we are engaging in that very thing that the church forbids. Uh, and so at that moment... If I were to be honest, I even began to ask myself questions. Uh, that is this who we are as a church? Um, is this the kind of message that we bring to people? Is this what people think about us when it comes to the message that we, uh, we bring? Does the church use shame and guilt uh, to beat down people uh, and to make them feel like they don't belong? And if that's the case, if that's the kind of faith that we are presenting out there, surely it is not worthwhile to become a Christian or to even think about uh, this Jesus and his church. Uh, surely the best place to worship is in the bedroom. In one of the interviews, um, Hosea says this about sex. He says an act of sex is one of the most human things but an organization like the church, say, through its doctrine, would undermine humanity by successfully teaching shame about sexual orientation. That is when he was asked about this, um, this song, uh, about sexual orientation, that it is sinful or that it offends God. So he doesn't like that idea. The song is about asserting yourself and reclaiming your humanity through the act of love. 
Uh, so that's what he says. And he goes on to say that it's not an attack on faith. It's an assertion of self, reclaiming humanity back for something that is most natural and worthwhile. Now, I, I must say, as we get into the lyrics of this song, I wasn't sure where to take this um, this engagement with this song. Because on the one hand, there's this celebration of worship that we can talk about. On the other hand, we, we can talk about restrictions around sexuality or orientation uh, that, that is in our culture, the stance of the church in relation to that. There's so many things that we can talk about in relation to this song. But I think the key thing that this guy is crying for is the need for connection. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, this guy, I think the one word that I, that I would use to summarize our topic for this evening is the word shame. It's the word shame. Somebody defines shame this way. Um, this is uh, not a Christian speaking. Um, she said that shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. Let me say that again. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging and connection. I wonder if you've ever felt it. Have you ever felt like you are in a space or an environment where you are unworthy of love, of belonging, and connection? Perhaps that place was the church. Um, perhaps that place um, was through your Christian friend. Uh, perhaps that place was you walking for the first time in church and feeling like your body count is more too much uh, for God to forgive. Uh, perhaps it is uh, you struggling secretly with same-sex attraction for many years and feeling like you don't belong. You cannot be part of God's people. Or maybe it was in matric. You had an incident that you confessed to somebody and then they shamed you. You felt like you were too dirty to be part of the church. Perhaps it's your Christian mother who made you feel the brand of that pain. Uh, when you are pregnant, adversity, instead of welcoming and accepting you, she shunned you. That is rejection. Uh, that is what shame is all about. This author goes on to contrast shame and guilt. Uh, she says that shame, or guilt is when you've done something wrong, uh, you say, I've done something wrong. And then shame is believing that I am wrong. Like, I'm the embodiment of all that is evil. And the more I engage with the song, the more I realize that this man's cry is against the church. Uh, that when he wanted to feel the sense of belonging in the church that he grew up in, what he was met with was rejection because of perhaps the views that he held on sex and sexuality. What he's longing for here is uh, the need to belong. And he's contrasting the church, this female, uh, very often in the Bible, the church is compared to a woman. Uh, he's contrasting this church with his lover. And he's saying that I'd rather go to this church 
where I can worship freely and where I can be accepted and where I can feel a sense of belonging and acceptance. Uh, So these two songs that we're going to look at are going to bring that contrast for us. Uh, They're going to show us where the author of this song wants to get love and belonging. And then later on, we're going to look at another song. And uh, fortunately, I don't blush. Uh, Fortunately, because of my skin color, I don't turn all pink when I read uh, this this, um, part of scripture. But nonetheless, it is called Song of Songs. It, It is the greatest song that was ever written, and it is the song of love. So we're going to look at two songs of love, and then we're going to look at how the Christian message answers this deep need that this author of this song, Take Me to Church, has. This deep need for belonging. Uh, This deep encounter with being shunned and being pushed out of the church. Uh, So shame is at the heart of this song. The opposite of shame is being loved and accepted. This man feels like the only place he'll be loved and accepted is in the arms of his, of his lover. The Christian message is going to tell us uh, that our longing for belonging can be met somewhere else. So let's dive into it. Let's dive into our song. If you still have those um, leaflets, I'll ask you to keep it open. My lover's got a humor. She's the giggle at the funeral. She knows everybody's approval. He begins by celebrating uh, his lover. He begins by celebrating the fact that she or he, uh, in his case, is the person who brings about joy. So think of those, that picture of a funeral, uh, the saddest uh, human experience, um, but she's bringing humor into that sad um, situations. He's bringing humor into that uh, funeral. Um, I should have worshipped her sooner if the heavens ever did speak. She's the last true mouth's, uh, mouth mouthpiece. Uh, what he's saying there is if there was ever such a thing as heaven, as religion claims, then the only heaven uh, has got to be this lover of his. If there was ever a God and God spoke, then his lover has to be the ultimate way in which God uh, has spoken. So he's elevating human love and this uh, affection towards a person as something uh, uh, in the in the place uh, of God. Um, but notice the contrast that he brings about. So he's elevating his lover, and then he's contrasting his lover with uh, this uh, thing called the church, this other woman called the church. Every Sunday is getting more bleak, a fresh poison each week. We are born sick, you heard them say. Now, as I said before, this guy is a Christian, uh, so he's speaking from a place of experience in church and experiencing what it's all about. And he says that while his lover brings about joy, He went to church for perhaps his whole life. And all that he ever experienced was Sunday getting more bleak, day in, week in, week out. A fresh poison that they feed you at church every week. What is the poison that he's speaking about? Uh, His poison is this teaching that we are born sick. Uh, So this concept and idea that people are born 
sinners and they are born sick. He doesn't like that. Uh, he doesn't like the teaching uh, that the Catholic Church and I think the church worldwide propagates that you and I are born sick. Uh, this feels, as we taking, as we going through this poem, it feels a bit like high school poetry, right? Are you guys still awake? Um, are you getting what uh, what uh, this contrast that he's he's bringing? And as he goes on to the chorus, he then say, "Take take me to church," um, because this contrast, I'd rather have this lover of mine than this church of yours. Take me to church. I'll worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. Uh, a dog is something that is loyal, isn't it? Um, a dog is loyal. You, if you give it food, you can beat it. Um, never tried this, by the way. <laughs> Don't try this. Um, but if you just give it food, it will be continually loyal to you. So he's saying that, uh, take me to church. Um, I worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. Again, he's bringing mockery towards uh, the church, that it is a bunch of lies that we worship. Uh, so like a dog, he will go worship at the shrine of the lies that the church is offering. Notice how he goes on to describe church and his experience of shame as he brought his sin, as he was naked before um, the people and brought his sins uh, to uh, the church. He says, I'll tell you my sins and you can sharpen your, li- your knife. Offer me that deathless death, good God. Let me give you my, give you my life. Uh, so not only is church a bunch of lies, but when he went to church and he tried to confess his sins, what was he met with? Uh, somebody sharpening their knife to beat him down when he was downtrodden. So that's his experience of church. And he goes on to say this lie that there is such a thing as a deathless death an eternal life. Offer me that deathless death. Good God, let me give you my life. Listen to what he says in one of the interviews about this offer that the church gives of eternal life. He says, I found the experience of falling in love or being in love was a death, a death of everything. You kind of watch yourself die in a wonderful way and you experience for the briefest moment if you see yourself for a moment through the eye, through their eyes, everything you believed about yourself gone. Uh, so he says, church offers a deathless death, but his lover offers him the true death. In fact, he goes on to say, talk, talking about um, the deathless death, what the French call un petit mort, a, a little death. That the experience of sex and the experience of climaxing is the deathless death. It is the moment where you feel like you just died a little bit. So if there was ever heaven, it has got to be when you are experiencing uh, this ultimate um, experience, which is life, this experience, and then death. You never expected that you would hear these things at a church this evening, right? Uh, but this is the songs that we jam to. This is the songs that we listen. These are the songs that we listen to, and this is the cry uh, that this guy has uh, regarding um, his experience of church, uh, his experience of shame within the church, um, and his experience of seeking a sense of belonging outside the church, a sense of belonging in the arms of his lover. He goes on to 
say in uh, the second verse of it um, how impossible it is. We're not going to go through um, uh, all of it. How impossible it is to even please uh, people. How impossible it is to gain acceptance. You can try to do everything, sacrifice everything, and once you think you've sacrificed anything, religion is always calling you to sacrifice more and more and more, even asking you to do the impossible. If I'm a pagan of good times, my lover is the sunshine. To keep the goddess on my, sun, on my side, she demands a sacrifice. Drain the whole sea, get something shiny, something meaty for the main cause. It is not fair. In fact, no human being, according to this, uh, the writer of this song, should ever have the moral high ground uh, to tell somebody else how to live their lives, to tell somebody else whether they belong or don't belong. And that is his um, experience. You can sense as you read this, um, and as you see his interview, uh, he's quite a, a shy guy. You can tell that this is somebody who is not just writing about or becoming an activist, but this is somebody who has experienced struggle and battle in his own life. And he has been met or he's felt that the church is a place that he went to, but he, they sharpened the knife against him. He feels that the church is not a place uh, of belonging uh, because of his, uh, his weaknesses. And again, he's celebrating the fact that in the arms of his lover, he experiences this true um, and ultimate belonging, this ultimate sense of belonging. So take me to church and offer me that deathless death. Wink, wink. Now let me just say that if you've lived long enough, you will understand that an act of God like this intimacy, intimacy between men and women, there's a reason why people can take such a good gift and make it the ultimate thing like this guy makes it. Uh, there's a reason why somebody can look at such a beautiful thing. And we're going to see in the scriptures how God celebrates sex because he's the one who made it. But we can take this ultimate, this good thing that he has created and make it the ultimate thing, the thing where we're going to find or long to find meaning, belonging, where we long to find a sense of acceptance. It is understandable how we can get to that. But at the same time, I think across this room, uh, we have people who've lived life, isn't it? Uh, who have seen everything that life has to offer, who have seen relationships break down, who have seen that it is what this guy is talking about. Yes, he's longing for belonging, and he's saying that I can find that belonging in human relationship. If you've lived long enough, you'll know that nobody ever finds this kind of belonging. Uh, nobody ever finds this kind of satisfaction, deep satisfaction, in the arms of another human. In fact, if you put that kind of weight on any human, they will crush under that weight. Uh, it is impossible to find this kind of satisfaction, this kind of deep sense of belonging that you can come before another human being who's deeply flawed like you, bring your deep flaws to them, and be accepted unconditionally, which is what he's longing for. What he's longing for, humanly speaking, is impossible. It is impossible. 
Uh, so and our next song kind of leads us into something that is possible, a place in which we can find true acceptance. Because what our next song does is that, yes, it celebrates the beauty of sexual union, just to say that this is a purely erotic um, poem. Uh, They went and did a whole lot of extracting of ancient documents and found other cultures that were writing love songs. And Song of Solomon is modeled after uh, that kind of poetry. So this poem is really about human love. Okay, so this poem celebrates human love uh, and it elevates it. Uh, let's have a look at it. I'm not going to go into details. I'm sure you can read. It's quite um, an old way of speaking, but basically this guy and this girl celebrate uh, each other. Um, this is a celebration between one man and one woman and their union. And he's celebrating how beautiful she, she looks, how beautiful she is. Let's run through it. Um, how beautiful your sandal feet, O oh princess daughter. If you are looking for words for your wedding day, uh, if you are a guy, uh, just go through here and, and substitute uh, all those ancient words with new ones uh, because, man, I read this and I think to myself, this will never fly in my church back home. I will never be able to read this. Uh, in fact, one lady apparently in Cape Town asked if this is part of the Anglican Bible. Surely this cannot be a part of the real Bible. Um, yeah, because this stuff sounds like it's from a hip-hop uh, music video. How beautiful your sandal feet, O oh, princess daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels. Ooh la la. The work of an artist's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet. I don't know what that means, but it's something to do with her beautiful belly that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mold of weed and cycled by the lilies. I'm not going to read verse 3. Amen. You can read it yourself. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshon by the gates of Bath Rabim. You can tell he's celebrating her beauty by pointing to the most beautiful things around him. And he's saying that his lover is like this. Verse 6, how beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love. um, How pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. Verse 8, this is a celebration of a union. And I said, I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grape on the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. May the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over leaves and teeth. I belong to my beloved, and his desire is for me. Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Um, If you read the whole of uh, Songs of Solomon, you get these beautiful pictures of a celebration of a union between husband and and wife. And as I said, it is purely dead. Um, the Hebrew people, when they were engaging with this, 
Um, they said that it's actually a picture of God's relationship with his people. Um, it's not really how to look at it. But nonetheless, I think throughout the Bible, this celebration of a sexual union between men and women, God uses to describe the deep sense of belonging and connection between him and his people. So throughout history, he would use in the book of Hosea the metaphor that Israel is like his wife and he like, he's like uh, the husband. In Ephesians that uh, Andrew read for us, in verse 31 to 33, Paul has been talking about the relationship between a man and a woman. And he says something that is kind of weird. So he says husbands must uh, love their wives, wives must submit to their husbands. Then he quotes from Genesis, verse 31 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32 is interesting. Just as you're thinking that he's speaking about this relationship between men and women, he goes on to say, this is a profound mystery. This mystery is profound that I'm saying, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, each of you should love his wife as himself. So I wonder if you're tracking with me. How's the other guy says, Stuff church, away with church. I, I tried to find belonging there. I didn't find it. I found it in the arms of my lover. He elevates sex to a supreme place, uh, to equating it to heaven itself. The Bible does elevate sex beyond that because it helps us. It points sexual union. It points it to our maker. But not only that. It uses this picture, this earthly picture of a union between a husband and a wife to speak about the way God relates to us, uh, the way God relates to us with our deep flaws. In Ephesians, you will see that the kind of God that uh, uh, we read about in the scriptures is a God who sees people in their deep flaws. He sees every deep, dark corner of your life he sees everything that is wrong with you. He sees even the very thoughts that you think nobody sees. Uh, he sees your very the, the very depth of your sin. He sees the way you despise him in your heart of hearts. He sees the moments that you try to live for him, where you try hard to be good and to be accepted by him, and he just fails. Continually, God sees all of that, yet in Ephesians we see that he takes the first step towards loving a flawed human being. Uh, so the Christian story is a story of a God who loves people, who brings them to his fold, who embraces them in spite of their flaws. Unlike the, church, the experience that um, our songwriter experienced, uh, God doesn't shun us because of our flaws. Our God accepts us um, in spite of our flaws. In fact, you see as you read the Christian story that this God, he steps towards us. And because of that, your longing for belonging, my longing for belonging, can be met in the arms 
of the one who deeply knows you, yet deeply loves you. Let me say that again. Your need, your ultimate longing for belonging can be met in the arms of the, the one, which is Jesus, who deeply knows you, yet deeply loves you. Can you actually believe that? Because that is the gospel story. And that is the gospel story. No human being can ever love you like that. To deeply know you, every corner of your being, and still step towards you and love you. Yet this is the very thing that this song is calling for, to be deeply known and to be deeply loved. Yet this is the song that is looking for this kind of embrace in a wrong place. Um, yet the gospel message tells us uh, that God gives us uh, this ultimate embrace. One pastor puts it like this, and I think it's, it's so powerful. He points to human uh, relationship, and he says, When over the years someone has seen you at your worst and knows you with all your strengths and flaws, yet commits him or herself to you wholly, it is a consummate experience. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. That's the kind of love that God lavishes on us, that he truly knows us with our flaws, yet he truly loves us. It is what we need more than anything else. Uh, so here's the thing, church, this evening, we all long to belong, um, and very often we run to different places to seek for this belonging. Very often we run to relationship and human relationships uh, to try to fill these belongings, uh, to go towards the arms of other people uh, to try to fill this belonging. But the gospel message reminds us that our need or rather our longing for belonging can be met, but in the arms of the one who deeply knows you. That is Jesus, uh, who deeply knows you, yet sacrificed himself uh, for you. He sacrificed himself for you. And in his, arm, in his arms, you can find true belonging. Now, I just want to end off with a story. Because as I was thinking about that, I'm like, Shucks, this song is talking about embrace, love, and I'm thinking, it's very awkward when you speak about the love of the Father and then human relations, especially for a guy. I'm like, in the arms of God, I find belonging, it sounds a bit weird. I cannot bring, wrap my head around that. So I was trying to imagine a, a way in which I, I felt belonging in the arms of somebody, especially a man. Uh, who has embraced me. Track with me here, right? Are you still with me? Um, so many of you who know me um, would know that I don't have a great relationship uh, with my father, my, my dad. He's never been in my life. But there was one year where I, I stayed with him. And this is a story of, uh, it's a positive story. Um, it, my, my relationship with him is not so positive um, over the years. Um, but this one time, and then, and the reason why I'm sharing this story is to bring home this point. I don't wanna, I don't want you to think that I am bringing attention on myself. 
This one time, um, I used to feed the dog. Now, let me start the story by saying, this is a story of a pit bull. This is a story of a pit bull that kind of lives in the burbs, but started its life somewhere else. Uh, this is a story of a pit bull that was in a cage. Uh, this is a story of a 14-year-old and that pit bull. Uh, so here I am one day walking that pit bull. Um, it stayed in a cage, so I had this chain, and I felt like a man as I walked the street of Hello Park with that dog. Um, it was Beast. His name was Leon. Leo was rough. When the other dogs would come, he would bark and intimidate them. Um, but on this particular day, as I was taking Leo for a walk, uh, his collar came out. Now you can tell where this story is going. I'm a, I'm a young boy who is terrified. I was actually not totally in control of this dog, but as long as it stayed in his chain, I could be in control. Uh, this dog came out and it left up the road. It went, Kremetat went into to one of the houses. It was trying to maul one of the dogs, little dogs, to death, but it couldn't reach there. Now, I don't know who trained Leo to attack anybody who tells it for tech. So this lady came out. She was pregnant, out of the house, and yelled at this dog. The last thing I remember is this dog going to attack. Where is my father? Is this stage? I don't know where he is. I called these guys at the corner to come help this um, this um, desperate lady. They they went rushing. They were ready to kill the dog, which I think they were right to do so, uh, because it was attacking human life. It was not a dog that was meant to be out. So I'm running. I'm trying to call my father at that moment. I don't know where he is. I'm thinking this is the end of my life today. Um, this is, man, if there was ever a mess up, this is a complete utter mess up. This is what I'm thinking in my head. And as I went back to the scene, well, I went to call some of my uncles or my dad's friends. They called him up and he came to the scene. Uh, but as I walked towards the scene of that accident, I was expecting for him to shout at me, um, in fact, it was his responsibility, <laughs> letting a 14-year-old uh, carry that dog. But I was expecting him to bring all wrath upon me for being such an irresponsible son. I was expecting him to chuck me out of uh, his house. But I've never felt a sense of belonging and comfort like I did that day. He held out his hand and embraced me and said, it will be okay. Um, it will be okay. And I think I speak about that. It was a traumatic experience, but I can freely speak about it that way because in that moment, I felt a deep sense of protection and a deep sense of belonging that despite what I had done, I was welcomed and embraced. And I think as much as I think of my father, he is flawed, just like any father, right? Any human father is flawed, but how much more does God love us? If this flawed father could love me like that, how much more our Heavenly Father, who can lavish his love 
towards you and accept you in spite of your flaws and in spite of your brokenness. Uh, to open wide his arms to you, as indeed if you confess your sins to him, he will sharpen the knife. But the Christian story tells us that he sharpens his knife and he falls on that knife for you and for me. He dies on the cross for your sin and for my sin, so that you and I can experience this deep sense of belonging, this deep sense of embrace. Um, in the book, Gentle and Lowly, the author says, very often we think of God as somebody with a pointed fi- finger. But the God of the Christian story is not like that. The God of the Christian story does not have a pointed finger, but he's got open arms. And he's ready to receive us and welcome us and embrace us. Yes, true belonging, our longing for belonging can be found in the arms of this one who deeply knows us, yet deeply loves us. Amen. Let me lead us in just a time of prayer as you reflect on that, as you reflect on his word. It is a prayer that helps us respond to this God who loves us. I'm going to say it and um, ask you to pray it in your heart. Prayer simply says, Dear God, I thank you that you created me for belonging. I thank you for all your good gifts that point me to you. Please see my deep longing for belonging. Please help me see that my sin stands in the way of me belonging to you. Thank you that in spite of my sin, you still love me. Thank you that you open your arms to embrace me. Help me become a Christian. Let me lead us again in that prayer. Dear God, I thank you that you have created me for belonging. I thank you for all your good gifts that point me to you. Please help me see my deep longing for belonging. Please help me see that my sin stands in the way of me belonging to you. Thank you that in spite of my sin, You still love me. Thank you that you opened your arms to embrace me. Help me this evening to tend to you and to put my trust in you. And these things we ask in Jesus' name and for our good. Amen.